Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. Welcome to New Covenant Church. We're here to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen. And show Him love and gratitude for His grace towards us. Before we get started with praise and worship, we have a a special thing we'd like to do for the McRobbie family. Josh and Amanda, if you'd bring Andrew and Maximus up here, we'd like to have a baby dedication this morning. Isn't that a great way to start? So while they come up, Pastor Daryl, here you go. Would y'all stretch your hands out toward these two? What a beautiful family. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you and we dedicate Andrew and Maximus to you in Jesus' name. And we're asking you to guide them and lead them all the days of their life. And, Father, that you give Josh and Amanda wisdom and understanding that they raise these two up in the admonition and the love of the Lord. And, Father, we ask for both of them that you watch over them until the day that they come to accept Jesus for themselves as their Lord and Savior. And we give you praise and honor. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Lord, we give you all glory and all honor and all praise, Lord, because they belong to you and you alone. And this is a glorious day indeed, Lord. Your word says that your mercies are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness, Lord. You are faithful, Lord, and we thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, no matter what things may look like around us, no matter what the world, uh, the shape of the world may look like, Father, we know you are faithful, and we give you all praise and all glory and all honor. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are so glad that you are with us for worship this morning. If you're joining us uh, online, we're so thankful that you're joining us as well. Uh, as you know, we've been on a series, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, on waiting on the Lord. And I hope that uh, sometime in the past couple of weeks, you've had an opportunity to set aside some quiet time and wait on the Lord and listen to Him and listen for His voice. If you were with us last Sunday, you know we ended the service with a few moments of, of just quiet time, of silence, of listening And uh, the Lord spoke to many of you, and several of you shared uh, what God spoke to you uh, after the message, and it was really good. And that's just one example of when we'll take just even a moment of time to be quiet and quiet ourselves and listen for the voice of God that we can hear Him speak. And my prayer is that we uh, make this a regular habit in our daily lives to, to remember to set aside a time to be quiet before Him. And remember, as we discussed uh, last week, even uh, you may encounter things like Daniel did, where there may be a prolonged period of silence where it doesn't seem like he's speaking, but I just want to encourage you to continue to wait. You will not be disappointed. Uh, if you're going to follow along this morning in your own Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to get there in just a moment. But before we do, we want to look at Psalm 130, verse 5. This has been the foundational scripture of this series. And in it, the psalmist wrote, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. You know, no one enjoys waiting. We talked a lot about that in the first message. But we don't like to wait. We don't like patience. We don't uh, like waiting really on anything in our lives, 
Um, but if we can manage it, if we can manage the patience, if we can get ourselves to wait on the Lord, uh, it really isn't a bad place to be. Because the truth is, if he's not speaking, if he's not leading or guiding us into something, then the best place we can be is waiting on him and not doing anything. So often we get ahead of ourselves, and if God's not speaking and we feel like we're in a circumstance or a crisis, that we have to do something, that we decide to do something on our own. And usually that doesn't work out too well, does it? So when, when God speaks and when we hear a word from him, even one word, it can change everything. So uh, even though we may get impatient and frustrated, uh, I want to encourage you to wait on the Lord if you're in a situation that it doesn't seem like he's speaking. When God seems to not be answering us, uh, it can get to that place where we just feel like we can't wait anymore. But I want to assure you, if he's still not speaking, the best thing you can do is wait. And we have a good example of someone who waited on God, waited on him much more than we've probably ever given him credit for. And his name was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ waited on God the Father uh, over and over and over throughout his ministry. It's easy to overlook because I don't think it's usually uh, what we look at when we're, when we're going to different accounts and stories in the Bible because we, you know, we either already know what it says or we read ahead and it just seems like it happened so quickly. But in the moment, Jesus waited a very long time, many, many times. Just think about how long he waited to start his ministry in the very beginning. We know that he didn't start his ministry until he was 30 years old. That's a long time to wait, especially if you know that you're the son of God and you're here to save the world. I'm sure he thought, you know, hey, I can get started early. And the only thing that we really know about those first 30 years is one about his birth. And then we get a small glimpse when he was 12. When he was 12 years old, they they went uh, to Jerusalem with his whole family in a large caravan of family. And Jesus kind of wandered off on his own, and he was actually teaching in the temple. He was, at 12 years old, he was teaching the teachers. And the family thought that he was with other parts of the family, and they left, and they were actually gone for several days before they realized that Jesus wasn't with them. And they went back, and they found him there in the temple. And his mother said, you're coming home with us. And Jesus obediently submitted to that request and waited Another 18 years, 18 years of silence that we know nothing of what occurred during that time. But what we do know is Jesus waited until it was time. There are several words that I think go along with waiting or somewhat similar. And the first is patience. And we don't like patience anymore than we like waiting. The other word is restraint. That can be a tough one. I know we all have experienced times where it's very difficult to restrain ourselves from action. It may have been a physical response or a verbal response or countless other things that we have restrained ourselves from doing. But maybe your issue is that you don't have any restraint at all. You know, you can probably think of example after example where you said something you shouldn't have said or you did something you shouldn't have done. And hindsight is always twenty twenty. when you look back and you're like, oh, If only I could take those words back. If only I could take that action back. If only I could have restrained myself. And we know how hard it is 
to restrain ourselves in those moments. If your children grew up and lived past 18 years old, you restrained yourself. (laughs) Time after time after time. There's that old saying, if I brought you into this world, I can take you out. Children have a way of testing us, don't they? And how many times did we do something or say something to our own children that we wished we had restrained ourselves and not said that thing or done that thing in the moment? One example I have, uh, I'll leave my family out of it, (laughs) just embarrass myself. Um, I think I've shared this before, but there was two different times um, where I came across uh, someone that I knew uh, that was friends of the family, and I thought they were pregnant. And different women, I didn't do it to the same one twice, so I'm not that dumb. <laughs> but I did it to two different people. Um, and so after, it took me twice, but after the second time I learned. So if, if you ever, if I ever, you know, encounter you ladies and you're pregnant and I haven't congratulated you, and I don't care if you're nine months and you're having the baby tomorrow, if you have not told me you're pregnant, I will not acknowledge it. Because um, I'm not, I'm not going to do it again. It's not going to happen. Um, if you have a baby in your arms and it you know looks like you, I might you know bring it up then. But again, um, I've got to know. And so, men, women, any any of you, don't ever assume. <laughs> you will wish you exercised restraint. I promise. Um, so this morning we're going to be looking at Jesus and the and God the Father and looking at the waiting, the patience, and the restraint that they have. Uh, shown us over and over and over throughout Scripture and throughout time. And again, I think most of us have not read these accounts or seen these things in the Bible thinking about God the Father's patience, God the Father's restraint, the restraint of Jesus Christ, that it took him to not do what we wanted him to do. And we're going to look at uh, what Jesus encountered right before he started his ministry, the temptation in the desert, starting in Luke chapter 4. Verses 1 through 13 starts out saying, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For forty days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. So first of all, we see that Jesus was led by the Spirit and full of the Spirit when he went into this time of 40 days of temptation. I think sometimes we think that when we encounter temptation or we run into temptation, that maybe we've done something wrong. We're in the wrong place. We're at the wrong place at the wrong time, or we opened the door to it. And that may be the case sometimes, but in this case, we at least know there's one example where God can take us into that place and lead us into that place and be with us in it, but it's still something that we have to go through. And it's a test that we have to respond. Are we going to trust God? Are we going to rely on Him? Or are we going to succumb to the temptation? The other thing that we see here is, is Satan's challenge. If you are the Son of God, if you're really who you say you are, then prove it. You've been out here for 40 days without any food, and you're hungry. And it would be a very simple thing for God. If you are God, turn this rock into bread. Prove yourself. But Jesus responded with the word of God. And there's nothing here that says that God the Father spoke to him or gave him a word. I feel like this was a time of silence 
for Jesus when he was just out there, but he had talked to the Father. He had a relationship with the Father. He knew the Father's voice, and he knew the Word. And in a moment of silence, in a moment when the enemy is attacking him, he responds with the Word of God because he says, I know who my Father is. I know his character. I know his word. And he's not telling me right now to turn this rock into food. So as much as I want to eat and as much as I want to prove you wrong and destroy you in this moment, I am going to restrain myself and speak the word of God. And God says man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Father. And verse 5 And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and and I give it to you to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So just worship me. Just bow down. We can have a quick shortcut. God the Father has given everything to me, and I'll give it to you if you will just bow down. Well, there was no way that Jesus was going to worship Satan or bow down to him. And once again, he responded with the word of God in verse 9 by saying, You shall worship the Lord your God and only him so you should serve. And verse 9 says, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So again, Satan taunts Jesus. If you are the son of God, prove it. Prove yourself. And Satan's telling Jesus, I don't believe that you are who you say you are. And once again, God the Father shows miraculous restraint not to prove himself. And Jesus shows miraculous obedience and restraint by not taking the action into his own hands and say, well, God the Father, you may not be wanting to show him, but I'll show him right now. If someone were taunting us and we had a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the power that Jesus had, we would use every bit of it to show them. I'll show you what I can do. How hard would it be for God the Father and God the Son to have restrained themselves at that moment because that wasn't the will of God. It wasn't the time. Even more difficult, think about if your child is in a situation that you could interact in in and, and show up in and help them but that's not the best way for that situation to, to, to bear out. And God the Father is watching his son in this situation. And he has the power to crush Satan in a moment. And he could have protected his son. He could have protected his son from the death on the cross. But that wasn't the way. It was the only way for us to have salvation. So he restrained himself. As much as he loved his own son, he restrained himself in that moment and said, it's not time. 
God the Father was looking on. His son has been tempted and tested for 40 days in every possible way. And now he's being taunted by the enemy. And he could have overwhelmed him in power. He could have given Jesus permission to overwhelm him in power. But they restrained themselves. And they waited because that was not the will of the Father. So once again, Jesus responds the only way that he can with the word of God, knowing the character of his father and trusting him completely. Jesus responds in verse 12, and Jesus answered him and said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So two of these requests, There really wasn't anything evil or wrong of them in and of themselves. Jesus wouldn't get a rock and turn it to bread, but twice he would take a loaf of bread and create or multiply it to feed thousands. He never threw himself off a pinnacle, but scripture says multiple times that the crowds got angry at him and they wanted to kill him and they picked up stones to throw at him or they were going to grab him and throw him off a cliff. And it says that Jesus just passed right through. So in that moment, it was the Father's will to deliver him and protect him that he might not dash his foot even against a stone. But in those moments, it was the will and timing of the Father. The sin and the two requests was to perform them outside of his will. But imagine how tempting it would have been. I'll show you, Satan. Do you want to see power? I'll show you power. And that's the way that we, or if I speak for myself, it's the way that I want God to show himself in my circumstances. Anytime something goes wrong, any situation that's not the way that I want it to be, I pray and I ask and I give God my will. And I say, God, if you're God, then prove it. Show yourself. Heal the people I want you to heal the way I want you to heal them, when I want you to heal them. Take away every negative circumstance. But he says, you don't know what you're asking for. That's not my will. And when it wasn't the will of God, Jesus waited. And that's what he calls us to do is wait on him and trust him. I believe that Jesus showed more power in his restraint, far more power than it would have taken him to show off. The God of creation, the one that's been here from before the beginning of time and will be there beyond the end of the earth for all eternity. It would take nothing for him to answer all these requests and do all these things. But he would be taking away our free will. He would be taking away our choice. He would be defying who he is, his own character, his own love, and he will not do that. We can't imagine the trillions and trillions and trillions of prayers throughout time that have asked God to do things that weren't his will. And over and over and over, he restrains himself And not one time has he violated his will. 
And not one time did Jesus Christ on his earthly ministry violate the will of the Father. He was perfectly obedient to him and gave us a perfect example of the life that we're called to live. Jesus would do many miracles and show the power of God in many ways throughout his ministry, but only when it was the will of the Father and in his timing. There was one other sinless man that was tempted in this way, but he failed the test, and his name was Adam. He was created sinless. He didn't die sinless. The genealogy of Jesus is found in Luke chapter 23 through verse 38, and it goes all the way back to Adam. And the final statement reads, Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Adam, the son of God. God was Adam's father, his creator. Adam had no earthly mother and no earthly father. His father was God. Can anyone imagine that God was not the perfect father? You know, we talk about father issues and, you know, this is why I'm this way or this is why I'm that way because I didn't have a good father. You think Adam had that excuse? God was the perfect father. It says that he walked with him, talked with him. Adam had a relationship with God. He knew who God was. But when Satan came to tempt and test Adam, Adam failed the test. Adam didn't represent who God really was to Satan. When Jesus was being tempted, every time he represented God for who he was. But when Satan came to Adam, Adam believed the lie that Satan told about his father. Satan told Adam that God was holding out on him. That God doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't have your best in mind. And instead of representing the father to Satan, Adam believed the lie. You know, the world tells us right now, and it's getting, the voices are getting louder and louder and louder, that God isn't real. There is no God. Science has proven that he doesn't exist. The verse that we've been looking at in Psalms says that if you wait on him and hear his voice, that he'll give you hope. So the question that I would have for for you, if you're in a relationship with God, if you have heard his voice, there is nothing that anyone can say or do to take that away. There's no one that can disprove God to me because I have a relationship with him. And I know him. And I know his voice. And Adam knew him. And he knew his voice. But he believed a lie. And Satan tries to convince us of that same lie today. Even if you know him and you've heard his voice, he comes to accuse him to you. And says, if he really loved you, he'd fix this situation. If he really loved you, he would take away this pain. If he really loved you, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen. But we can respond if we know God, if we're in a relationship with him, with who he really is and who we know him to be, the truth. And Satan came at Jesus with every temptation and lie he had, but Jesus didn't take the bait. 
He would not believe a lie about his father. He would not perform or prove himself to Satan outside of the will of his father because he was the perfect representation of who the father is. He refused to do anything or say anything outside the will of the father. And as tempting as it must have been to show Satan his power, Jesus restrained himself. And Satan said, if you are the Son of God, then act that way. Act the way that God should act. And Jesus restrained himself. He waited. He had patience. He would not do something just to do something. If the Father didn't say it was time, he was going to wait. He would only present the Father for who he knew the Father to be. And a similar temptation would come again at Jesus, this time from one of his own apostles, Peter. He told Jesus, when Jesus said he was going to have to go to the cross, he said, no, Lord, forbid it that you would go to the cross. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're trying to get me to violate the will of the Father. And if it's the Father's will that I go to the cross, that's where I'm going to go. It doesn't matter if Satan's trying to get us to do something that God has told us not to do or if he's trying to get us to not do something that God told us to do. Either one is a violation of his will. If you've heard the voice of God, listen to it. Be obedient to it and God will show himself. The last temptation would come from one of the thieves on the cross and he said and challenged Jesus, if you're the son of God, then... Take yourself down, and while you're at it, take us with you. Prove yourself once again. If you're really the Son of God, then get us off of here. And Jesus, in one word, could have made that happen, but he restrained himself because that wasn't the way. It wasn't the will of the Father. The temptation is always there's an easier way. There's an easier way, and we face that temptation over and over throughout our lives. And we and I often fail when I encounter that temptation and take the easier way. But God the Father and God the Son have never, not once, taken the easier way. Not one time in all of humanity's requests has He violated Himself. Has he not been true to his character and who he is? He has remained faithful. And no matter how difficult, even when it was his own son crying out to him, if there's any other way, he said, I'm sorry, son, there's no other way. Jesus said, okay, if that's the way, I'll be obedient. I'll be faithful. Our requests for God to show himself or to perform for us and overwhelm us with his power and might do not present an obstacle to God. It would take nothing for him to to do all of those things. It takes far more power of him showing who who he is to restrain himself. God's terrible insistence to protect and guard human freedom is so absolute that he granted us the freedom to live as though he does not exist. And boy, don't we do it. God will never force himself on us, and he has refused 
from the beginning of creation until now, and he will continue to restrain himself until everything is finished. He waits for us to willingly come to him. The author Philip Yancey wrote that it occurs to me that by turning down the temptation in the desert, Jesus put God's reputation at risk. God has promised to restore earth to perfection one day. But what about the meantime? The swamp of human history, the brutality even of church history, the apocalypse to come. Are all these worth the divine restraint? To put it bluntly, is human freedom worth the cost? Is it worth it? To us so many times it might not seem like it. I think often we fool ourselves, or should I say we even lie to ourselves, that when we say that we're worried about God's reputation. How often have you prayed that a prayer that you're basically saying, God, this is just making you look bad. Look at this mess. Show them. Show them who you are. Show them your power. And God says, that's not the way. God doesn't work that way. And Jesus perfectly representing the Father didn't work that way. Jesus never twisted a person's arm. Rather, he stated the consequences of a choice and then threw the decision back to the other party. He answered a a wealthy man's question with uncompromising words and then let him walk away. Mark adds that as the man walked away, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus loved that man enough to let him walk away. Jesus had a realistic view of how the world would respond. He said in Matthew 24, 12, that because of the increased wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And Jesus Christ, he was the only true Savior of the world. But he didn't have a Savior complex. He had no compulsion to convert the entire world in his lifetime or to cure people who were not ready to be cured. Jesus showed an incredible respect for human freedom, just as the Father always has. To its shame, Christian history reveals an unrelieved attempt to improve on the way of Jesus Christ. We think we can do it better. It's so easy to lack the patience to allow God to work in the slow, gentle way that he has chosen to work. When God doesn't move fast enough, when he's making himself look bad, we decide to insert ourselves and help him out a little bit. And how often does that work out well? Jesus' restraint, his resistance against Satan's temptations, preserved for all of us the very freedom that we still exercise today when we face our own temptation. History has proven over and over that goodness cannot be legislated or enforced, and even if it's at the point of a gun. It's ironic, but all attempts to compel morality and obedience produce defiant subjects and tyrannical rulers. God could have forced obedience from the very beginning, He could have created us without free will, without freedom, but he wanted us to willingly choose him. And over and over and over throughout history, he has shown miraculous restraint by not taking it away. 
made me think this morning, like when if you have children and you're raising them up and you say, well, I'm going to let them do this on their own. And then they start messing it up. So you go, get out of my way. And let me show you how it's done. Once again, we don't exercise restraint. But God has looked on what we might call a disastrous mess that we have made. But I'm not going to take it away. This is the way. It's the only way that you can choose me by your own free will. It's God's way versus Satan's. Satan's way is force. His methods are to kill, steal, and destroy, to coerce and control through threat and fear. But God gave us the freedom to choose from the very beginning, and he refuses to take that choice away, no matter how much the cost. God restrains himself and patiently waits for one purpose, to let us freely choose for ourselves how we will respond to him. And we have the same opportunity that Adam and Jesus had to be in a personal relationship with our God and Father and will face the same temptations from the enemy. Will we doubt his goodness and his character and believe a false image of our Father as Adam did? Or will we respond like Jesus with complete trust and faith that God is good and a loving Father? He's worth waiting on. His will and ways are perfect no matter what the circumstances may look like in the meantime. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, perfectly represented the Father to us. He was the express image of the Father. Jesus confidently said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Because I've lived in perfect obedience to his will. He repelled every attack of the enemy with the word of God. Are all the atrocities of man worth the divine restraint? Is freedom worth the cost? Put another way, is love, real love, given freely by choice from the heart, worth all of this? Is it worth the wait? Is it worth the cost? Through his divine restraint, God has answered that question over and over and over and over again with a resounding yes. Yes. It's worth it. It's my will. This is the way. It's the only way. And I will not take your choice away. I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. That is my prayer for all of us, that we will wait on him. And I promise you, it's worth the wait. And I promise you, he's waiting on you. He's waiting. Every unanswered prayer, he's waiting. He's waiting for you to get to the place where by your own free will, you will choose to come to him and wait for him. And in that moment, he's right there. Will you bow your head and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. 
God, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for your plan. Lord, thank you for giving us free will and not taking it back. Father, I pray for the whole body of Christ, Lord, that we will wait on you, that we will find our hope in you, that we will put our trust in you. Father, I pray that we just listen for what you're saying. And we trust you. And if you're silent, we trust whatever you're doing in the meantime. You're good. restraint to wait in faithful patienceness for God's will to be done in our lives will give us peace in any circumstance. No matter what we're going through, we'll still have peace. When we don't have that restraint and we try to impose our will, the only thing we're going to do is make discord in our lives and disruption and ultimately death. Waiting on the Lord can be a peaceful place if we have the faith to believe that his will will be better than ours. Amen. Good word, Pastor Chris. Very good word. Timely. Timely. A couple of quick announcements for you. Put this on your calendar. Next Sunday is May 30th. It's a fifth Sunday. If you've been here before, you know that's a family worship Sunday. So if your kids are in kindergarten or above, they get to be here with you. And it's a good time to be an example for our children of what being in church is like and to spend time with them in the presence of God. It's a good time. Saturday, June 5th, throne room encounter at 7 p.m. right here in the auditorium. A good time to spend time in God's presence. A great place to come and wait in what Pastor Chris has been talking about. The next Sunday, June 6th, right after the second service, we're going to have an open house and a celebration over at NCC West. It will be a catered affair. So we've got lunch covered. So bring your family, bring your kids, and see the gift that God's given us. It is a beautiful facility, and it truly was a gift from God. Lastly, Common Grounds is going to change its hours for the summer. So if you're a coffee-holic and you go there every Friday, it's going to be open from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. through the rest of the summer. Y'all have a great Sunday. Be blessed, and thanks for coming. Thank you for listening to this week's message.